How manageable is multidrug-resistant keratitis? Find out about this and more in today's PB Roundup podcast. I'm your host, Senior Vice President and Medical Director, Dr. Tim Wright, coming to you once again from the Pioneer Valley in Western Massachusetts. Here are today's stories. Recent reports of death due to multidrug-resistant keratitis have risen concern. However, this condition can be successfully managed when treated early in its clinical course. In a retrospective study of 40 patients published in the British Journal of Ophthalmology, multidrug-resistant keratitis was caused by vegetative trauma in 30%, followed by corneal transplant in 17.5%, and systemic comorbidities in 17.5% of patients. Infiltrate was considered small at less than 6 millimeters in 55% of the patients and large at greater than 6 millimeters in 45% of the patients. It involved the superficial, mid, and deep stroma in 27.5%, 22.5%, and 37.5% of the cases, respectively. Gram-negative bacilli were present in 45% of those affected by multidrug-resistant keratitis, among which Pseudomonas aeruginosa was the most common. Resistance to three classes of antibiotics was observed in 42.5% of the patients, and resistance to four classes of antibiotics was observed in another 42.5%. One patient showed resistance to all seven classes of drugs tested. Results showed that 37.5% of patients with multidrug-resistant keratitis had complete resolution of infection on medical management alone, and 12.5% underwent therapeutic penetrating keratoplasty size of the infiltrate was significantly associated with outcome. In our next story, we learned that as the use of second-generation antiandrogens increase in patients with prostate cancer, it is important to be cognizant of their potential side effects. A systemic review of 12 studies published in JAMA Oncology revealed that there was an increased risk of cognitive toxic effects with a relative risk of 2.1 and fatigue with a relative risk of 1.34 among those treated with second-generation antiandrogens versus control. The findings were consistent in studies that included hormone therapy in both treatment arms. Finally, the use of second-generation antiandrogens was also associated with increased risk of falls, with a relative risk of 1.87. And finally, we learned that further research is needed to identify the etiology of post-COVID fatigue, according to a study published in the Journal of Neurology. Among 425 patients examined after SARS-CoV-2 infection, 36.8% developed post-COVID fatigue. The condition was especially prevalent in women, 70% of those affected. The median number of symptoms during acute infection and during the last 14 days before examination were associated with post-COVID fatigue. For acute symptoms, beta estimate per additional symptom was 0.48. For persistent symptoms, beta estimates per additional symptom were 1.18. The acute symptoms that were most strongly associated with post-COVID fatigue were difficulty concentrating, memory problems, dyspnea, or shortness of breath on exertion, palpitations, and problems with movement coordination. And that's today's Medical Roundup. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast. For more stories like this, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions, please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing, Medical News Roundup, and just ask, what's my flash briefing? 
thanks today to Gabrielle Mostello for selecting and editing our stories and to Sean Mullen for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine. 